form of a test, but I hope you know that the questions I asked the children a bit earlier reveal that there really are a lot of ideas that we tend to have in our mind about the wise men visiting the Christ after his birth that really have no scriptural basis. The Gospel writer Matthew is really alone in recording the event of this visit, but he hasn't filled in every detail about it, and without those details, later human speculation has sort of embellished the story a bit. These wise men, we do know, came from the east, but exactly where from the east, we don't certainly know. We don't know the means of travel, yet it wouldn't surprise me that if some of you have received Christmas cards this year with wise men riding on camels. And that's uh, not really um, uh, something that is so odd just to this uh, year. It's been that way for quite a while. People think they rode on camels. Also, it wouldn't surprise me if you got one of those Christmas cards that the number of wise men and the number of camels were three. But again, in truth, Matthew doesn't say anything to us about the number of men. Some presume there are three because there were three gifts that were being brought. But in reality, two men, five men, a hundred wise men could have come and the total number of gifts could still be three. One more thing. One more thing I add in the vein of destroying our presumptions. Matthew's telling of this story doesn't even necessarily require us to really believe that all of it happened within but a few days after Jesus' birth. Matthew doesn't say it was after his birth, does say, rather, it was after his birth, but he doesn't say how long after his birth. There's certainly a possibility that it was long enough that your Christmas card depicting the manger scene is again an error. And we even get a hint of that maybe in Matthew because Matthew doesn't say that the wise men visited the manger. Instead, he came to the house. They came to the house. Well, I hope I'm, I'm really not destroying too many of your thoughts regarding the visit of these wise men. But what I, I truly hope we will know is that just because there are a lot of guesses surrounding the story of the star and the wise men and their journey, that the scriptures really do give us some specific and clear statements of facts as well. And this Christmas Eve, what, what I would like us to do is to consider those undisputable facts surrounding the visit of the Magi to Bethlehem and to think about that visit and what it might be telling us that's significant for our lives as well. And my hope is that we do that by focusing on the various people described in these verses in Matthew, beginning with the wise men themselves. Wise men is uh, really our way uh, that we find in many of our English translations that, that define who these visitors are. But if you're reading from um, a different English translation than what from I read to your children, it might not employ the word wise men. Instead, you might read that these men are magi. The name magi just uh, takes the Greek word for these men in it, and it gives it an English sound and making it into an English word. But maybe it's good for us really to use magi because it really says a little more to us about who these men really are. To call them magi suggests that they are followers of what was a pagan religion during that time. To simply call them wise men in our language might be prone to misunderstanding. The text isn't really saying that these men are men who have had PhDs or they have a high scholastic degree of learning. No, precisely they are 
called only magi, meaning they are those who have practiced this one particular religion. And they were possibly even priests of that religion. And the religion that, that they followed involved beliefs that centered upon the study of the stars. And there was actually a, a mystical aspect to that type of study. In other words, they weren't purely astronomers as we think of astronomers. They believed that in some way the stars and the movement of the stars in a cosmic manner influenced the events of history. So they would actually gaze at the stars, maybe read what they saw in the stars to be a sign. And in fact, many rulers in parts of the ancient world would have perhaps consulted a magi to get some counsel as to whether or not a specific event would happen, say a military venture, whether that would succeed or not. Now I've encouraged us to look at the facts that we know rather than read into the passage beyond what is truly there. And I know that maybe you're thinking that I myself am now reading a lot between the lines. But I want you to know that what I say is true to what it means to be a magi. The use of the word magi is to describe these wise men just as I have described them. And what we know more directly from the text is that as these magi looked at the stars at that particular time, they saw one particular star that they surmised was the star of a newborn king of the Jewish people. Now whether God somehow used the star to plant the thought into their mind that this newborn king was the king of the Jews, or whether the Holy Spirit implanted that idea apart from the visible star rising in the sky, well, that I don't really know. But what I do know is that in this story of the wise men, we are seeing that these men who would have been Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, have left their homeland somewhere to the east of Jerusalem, and they've traveled what is likely some distance, not precisely known, but probably some distance, to go to see this newborn king, to see the king in order to give to him royal honor and to bow down and to worship him. Jesus, baby Jesus, in this story of the wise men, is being seen by them as the rightful heir to the throne of David, God's chosen king, the king of the Jews. He is the, the son in the line of David whose kingdom is established by God to be a kingdom that will last forever. And as the news of this child's birth goes out, whether through the stars or through dreams or word of mouth beyond Jerusalem and beyond Bethlehem and beyond all of Judea, what we are beginning to learn through the Magi is that he, Jesus, born in the flesh, is to be given this royal homage. He is to be worshipped as the Lord of all. And this honor and worship that's to be given to him is not just to be given by Jewish people, but to be given by all peoples, by every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. All people are to worship Jesus Christ as we begin to see in the travels of the Magi who come not from Israel, but from the East. All people are to honor our God, to honor our King, who has been born into this world. Now let me just add that only Jesus who came in human flesh is to be honored in this way, no other. 
Notice that when the Magi come to him and they see Jesus in the arms of his mother Mary, they are not said to worship them. They worship him. They only worship Jesus Christ. Well, they've traveled from their homeland and they go first to Jerusalem, the capital city. Where else would you expect to find the king of the Jews? And they go to the palace. Where else would you expect to find one who bears the title of king? And there they find not Jesus, but they find Herod, King Herod. And while he is not the king they seek, and while he does, doesn't even know where to find this king, he does know that this special king and his coming was always expected for this world. And we know that because what Herod does is to assemble the chief priests and the scribes of the Jewish people. But he doesn't ask them if such a king is ever to be born. But he asks them where he is to be born. Now we'll get back to Herod in just a moment. But as we move away from the wise men now in this story, let's consider next the chief priest and the scribes who are assembled. And see something these Jewish priests and these scribes, these teachers of God's law, actually do that is right here. When Herod assembles this righteous group, this righteous elite, in order to ask him where the king, the Messiah, the Christ, is to be born, the religious men know exactly where to go for the answer. They turn to the scriptures, and I want you to know that's a very wise move. So by that, they are demonstrating in some measure that they too are wise. They know where to find guidance, the guidance given by God. They go to the word of God. If any of us, any one of us, seek to know more about Christ, how not only he came in infancy, but how he lived in righteousness, and what he has done for the unrighteous like us, so that we could be reconciled from our sin and to our God, and join the worship of all our Savior among all peoples, we know we can do and find out about what we are to do by going to the Scriptures. If we want a desire uh, to know how more to live, we go to the Scriptures. If we want to know how not to live, we go to the Scriptures. Well, the religious leaders got that picture too, at least to some degree. They turned to the Scriptures, to the Old Testament Scriptures. They told Herod with no real indication that they even had to reread the words of the scriptures. So they, they knew so well the word of God and they knew that the prophet Micah had prophesied what we read earlier in this service. That the Christ would in fact be born in Bethlehem. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. But also notice that having known the answer to the question asked by the Magi, and having known where to find the newborn king who is also God and worthy of all worship, having known it from the content of the scriptures of the Old Testament, there is not one word at all written in Matthew that actually tells us that these chief priests and scribes themselves sought out Jesus Christ. Here are these foreigners, these non-Jewish wise men, men engaged in a pagan religion. They are drawn by God out of that background to seek out Jesus Christ. 
But here are men in contrast who know the scriptures well, yet men who have no heart inclination to go where Jesus would be, even if they had doubts about the Magi's story. Isn't this a report worthy of further investigation? And I have to say, in our day, I pray that there would be few religious men as they teach from the pulpits that have been given to them to occupy, as they teach words that so vividly point to Jesus Christ, I pray that they would not merely be preachers of the word, but that they would cherish what is taught in the word, to be men themselves that seek after Jesus Christ and then direct others to the word of God and what they can learn about Jesus Christ. Well, let's move on to one more figure that we read about in this passage. We mustn't forget Herod. This King Herod of whom we read would have been Herod the Great. And yes, he did bear the title King of Judea, although the true governmental power in that region, in that era, was Rome. Herod was what would be called a client king of Rome, ruling the region, but only at the pleasure and under the restrictions that Rome would dictate. They were the true power. But that's still not to say that Herod had no political power. And here in the story about the Magi, his power is a power used for treachery. That might not be fully apparent within the bounds of our reading. Still, here it begins to surface. The news of the Magi brought troubled, trouble to the heart of Herod, along with all of Jerusalem. But the news troubled him particularly as he could see that this newborn messianic king might actually be a threat to his own power. If this child is the long-expected Messiah, the king of the Jews, the one whose kingdom is eternal, what would become of the earthly power of a Herod? So he's troubled. And so after he had assembled and inquired and found out from these priests and these scribes where it was that the Christ, the Messiah, the King would be born, he then calls the wise men back to himself. He calls them in secret and he asks them more about the star and then he sends them on to Bethlehem saying to them, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now on the surface, that doesn't sound bad at all, does it? It seems to say that Herod may indeed have a mind to join in seeking this king and this God to honor and to worship just as the Magi did, unlike the priest and the scribes. But at the end of our reading, we read a warning given the Magi in a dream, a warning whereby God directed the Magi away from Herod so that they would instead depart to their own country by means of a different route. That warning was given, we find out a little later as we read on in Matthew, because Herod's intent was not to worship the baby Jesus, but his true intent was to have him killed, to end the life of the newborn babe so as to solidify his own power, or so he thought. So Herod is the example in this story of the person with the greatest wickedness. He is the man with a hostile intent, a murderous hatred towards Jesus Christ. And so in our looking at this story, by sifting away from the added traditions of man 
and looking only at the facts of the story by particularly focusing on these three human responses, we find that there are responses by Magi, religious elite, and Herod. And we can come to know truths for our lives that are actually beyond one interesting biblical story. We know that the birth of Christ was indeed the birth of a child with cosmic implications. In the birth of this baby, in his coming into this world, is the king in the line of the former Jewish King David, the one who is the Christ, the one who is the Messiah, the one who has come to establish the eternal, everlasting kingdom of God. We learn from this story something about who Jesus is and that this babe born as king was not just to receive the royal honor that's due for men, but he was actually to be worshipped. He was true God as well as king of men. He was and is to be worshipped as God, as the Magi had said they had come to do and as they did in his presence. But knowing that about Jesus does not lead to a uniform, uniform reply by all human beings. Some people, like the Magi guided by God, will certainly come to honor and worship the incarnate Savior of men. Worship him as he ought to be honored and worshiped by all. Some people might even leave their country, leave their past superstitious ways and come to Christ and worship him as King and Lord. Others might act differently. They might devote themselves to the word of God as the religious elite in our story have done. But they still fail to grasp the word's full meaning. So without the accompanying enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, they remain in the dark. They know facts about Jesus, that he would come to the world. They knew where he would come. But they still refused to go to him because God's revelation that they should have known was not enlightened for them by the Spirit of God. In our day, we can even now read more of God's word about Jesus Christ. We can read not only through the shadowy light of the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament. We have the clearer illumination of Christ. We can read facts about his birth. We can read facts about his death, facts about how he died at the hands of wicked men, but also about how that death was ordained by God as the only means of man's salvation. And we can know how, how Jesus conquered death, not only for himself, but for any who would be united to him, all those people who have placed their faith in him. We have God's written revelation, the revelation that tells us so much about our need for Jesus Christ, all from the word that God has given us. But still many in humanity, knowing God, knowing God's word, still refuse to seek and come to Jesus. Some today respond to Jesus like the religious elite in the days of the Magi. And then some other people in our world today still might actually respond as King Herod did with the greatest of evil intent. For people in our day, the incarnate Christ is now risen and ascended. The one who sits and he reigns over the entire cosmos at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But there are still those in our world today who still respond to him with a murderous intent. They seek to remove him from the public square. 
They maliciously desire him to be removed from the hearts of receptive men and women. In essence, they seek to slay Jesus as they take him away from every mind and heart of every believing human being as they seek to do that. Not every human response to the Christ rejects him in that most wicked way. Not all will be hypocritical as the response of the chief priests and the scribes was as they heard of the visit of the Magi. Not every rejection of Jesus will always look in the same manner. But there is only one response that is most necessary. Only one response that is always right. And that's the response of receiving him as king, honoring him as Lord, worshiping him as God, and rejoicing with an exceedingly great joy as we have seen the Magi do. May it be this Christmas day, really all this coming year, in fact, every day of our lives, that we would respond just as the Magi did. May we all be people who faithfully come to Christ with all joy, worship him as God, and adore him as king of angels and king of man. May Jesus be the one who rules preeminently in every one of our hearts. Let's pray.